นโมทัสสะภะคะวะทัวระหะโตสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทัวระหะโตสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทัวระหะโตสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสะเมื่อสัปดาห์ก่อนฉันได้รับการเตือนจากผู้คนที่ต้องการที่จะแชร์ความรู้สึกความอบอุ่นความรักความเมตตาความรู้สึกไปกับผู้คนที่ต้องการที่จะแชร์ความรู้สึกความอบอุ่นความรักความเมตตาความรู้สึกไปกับผู้คนที่ต้องการที่จะแชร์ความรู้สึกความอบอุ่นความรักความเมตตาความรู้สึกไปกับผู้คนที่ต้องการที่จะแชร์ความรู้สึกความอบอุ่นความรักความเมตตา Teaching there on that page, and and uh, those of you that have the calendar will perhaps have already read the verse. And on this occasion, it just seemed to really hit the spot, and they wanted to just let me know how glad they were and how grateful they were for that. And certainly, I um, I'm pleased when people get the message like this. It's um, The reason for producing these calendars is that these teachings that we're so fortunate to have received from Ajahn Chah, in this case, and or the Buddhist teachings, if we're talking about the bigger picture, are really relevant. These these teachings are relevant. They're not uh, speculative thoughts. Not. Something to believe in, but they're tools for us to use. Mm. We have uh, all of us have got work to do. Uh, we uh, regrettably get lost over and over again in conditions, and however wonderful and fortunate the circumstances we may be living in, and uh, we still. Somehow, end up confused over and over again, but it's not a hopeless situation by any means. You know, we have not just the Buddhist teachings, but we also have people who really understand the Buddha's teachings. Yeah. Ajahn Chah uh, spent his whole life, as an adult, that is anyway, committed to the cultivation and realization of the essence of these teachings and shared. Uh, the benefit, and so we're very fortunate to receive that. And, uh, and uh, I do also uh, have a similar sense to this person who's got in touch with uh, that the relevance of this particular teaching. Uh, those of you that read it may remember that it it says that when realization comes to full measure, we will still have the same feelings about existence in the world. But we won't be burdened by them. When realization comes to full measure, we will still have the same feelings about existence in this world, but we won't be burdened. And so, what's particularly relevant about this is that it's teaching us how to apply the tools. We can read the Buddha's teachings. 
but if we don't apply them in uh, a skillful way, then we don't receive the benefits that we were hoping for. In fact, we can even hurt ourselves. Now, it might come as a surprise to some people that, that talking about realization coming to full measure, you still have the same feelings about existence in the world. Some people have the idea that liberation, enlightenment, means that you just totally absorbed in love and light the whole time and and that everything is absolutely marvellous. And Well, Ajahn Chah was saying something quite different from that. And it reminds me also of my time when I was living with Ajahn Tate, my first teacher in Thailand, and where he was commenting, and some of you will have heard me talk about this before, because uh, similarly I think it's particularly relevant, it's a, a really very important understanding of what the Buddha was pointing to. He was, he was commenting on the, the chanting that we do in the evening, and in Thailand when they do the chanting in Pali, they also translate it into Thai. Uh, so that people understand what's being chanted. And and so when they're talking about the Arahant, the full enlightened being, uh, the qualities of the Buddha, and they're talking about the Arahant, and they're translated as Pu Glai Jakile, which literally translates as one far from defilements, far from pollutions, Kilesa, Pu Glai Jakile. And Ajahn Tate said, this is not accurate. This is not true. He says, my glai taulai, man yang glai lagun, which literally means it's not far from defilements. Actually, an arahant is really close to defilements, but they don't touch them. Yeah. Now, which is you know, similar to what Ajahn Chah is saying, that whatever conditioned views, whatever liking and disliking uh, might arise in a liberated being's mind, yeah. there's no identification with it, so there's no suffering. And this, is a, this is a profoundly different perspective. And in terms of how we approach practice, I think it's profoundly important that we get this view right, that we, that we understand what is being pointed towards here and in our encouragement of letting go. Again, we can read all the teachings, you, all the translations and transcriptions of Ajahn Chah's teachings and Ajahn Samedo's teachings. You, you, the word letting go is used over and over and over again. And so we can, if we're not careful, we can idolize, we can make an idol out of the goal of practice. And the goal is letting go. And again, if we're not subtle in our understanding of that, if we're not really sensing into what's being pointed towards here, if we're not carefully considering, if we're not practicing, then we can think that letting go means getting rid of. Like letting go of liking and disliking, I'm sure. If you read Ajahn Chah's talks here, it's bound to find that. Letting go of liking and disliking. So we can think, oh, we're not supposed to have liking and disliking. Or letting go of wanting and not wanting. We're supposed to not have wanting and 
and not wanting. Yeah. Well, that's not what's being pointed towards. Yeah. Another of Ajahn Tate's teachings, the, a book that he, um, a book that was published and translated, transcribed talk of his, which is talking about the ending of the world. And uh, to be honest, I don't know that I ever read that book, but I assume that what Ajahn Tate was talking about there is the world that we construct out of our habits of clinging. When liking and disliking or wanting and not wanting arise in the mind, if we don't have right view, if we don't have right perspective, if we don't see clearly, then that movement in the mind, we cling to it, we become it, we get lost in it, we get caught up in it over and over and over again. And we're so used to it, we think that it's normal. And of course, when we cling to liking, it feels good. On one level, it can feel really good. However, the result of clinging to liking is that we can't help but clinging to disliking. And when we cling to disliking, it really doesn't feel good. When we cling to pleasure, it can feel good at the time. But as we all know that When pleasure arises, it's going to pass away. And when it passes away and we're clinging to the pleasure, we feel disappointed. Uh, And then what happens, whether we like it or not, if we're clinging to the feeling that we experience as pleasure, we can't stop ourselves from clinging to the feeling which we experience as pain. Uh, Feeling is feeling. Pleasure and pain are like the front and the back of the hand. You, You cling to one, you hold on to one, you hold on to the other. So this is the world, and Ajahn Tate was talking about the ending of the world. Uh, he was talking about the ending of the world as no big deal, or even actually the ending of the world as a great thing. But of course he wasn't talking about uh, a nuclear war or planet Earth blowing up. Uh, he was talking about dissolving the deluded notion we have of the world that occurs as a hallucination in our minds as a habit, as a result of the habit of clinging. So if we have this attitude towards practice established, if we have this basic view, this fundamental view of practice, it informs how we approach the activity of our hearts, the activity of our mind. Liking and disliking, wanting and not wanting are not the problem. They feel like the problem so long as we're clinging to them. Like if you've got a building project going and the electrician says he's going to turn up and you're depending on the electrician turning up and, and then they don't turn up. It can feel like a problem. But what's the problem? What's the problem? What is the problem with the electrician not turning up? Yeah. What is it? There's that. There's a feeling there, isn't there? The feeling which is, I don't like this. 
I didn't get what I wanted. I wanted the electrician to turn up. I feel justified in wanting the electrician to turn up because he said he would. In fact, he said it twice, I think. Yeah. And it's really inconvenient that he didn't turn up. And when he said he's going to come next week, he didn't even apologise. And I think I'm entitled to an apology. And I, and I, and... That's the problem. That's the problem. Now, if we didn't have the Buddha suggesting we cultivate restraint and wise reflection, we would believe in the problem. And it wouldn't be my problem, it would be the electrician's problem. He caused the suffering. The electrician causes the Actually, the electrician didn't cause the suffering. He's in Newcastle watching television having a great time. He's not suffering. I'm the one that's suffering. Yeah. I is, is the suffering. The activity of I is the suffering. And what is the reality, the activity of I? What is the reality? That's what we need to be looking into. So yes, the Buddha and all the realized teachers encourage us to exercise mindfulness, restraint, and wise reflection over and over again. Mindfulness, restraint, wise reflection. Not just mindfulness. We can be mindful and still be pretty indulgent and not reflecting very wisely. We can be mindful and trying to reflect, but if we're not really restrained, if we don't inhibit the habit of following the movement, following the tendencies, following the liking, disliking, wanting, not wanting, uh, we're just mindful, but we're not really restraining, inhibiting, uh, then we're not going to let the energy build up, we're not going to get a clear reading of how important this is. Yeah. over and over again mindfulness, restraint wise reflection and with regards to this I want the electrician to turn up the electrician said he's going to turn up the electrician didn't turn up and what is this phenomenon what is this experience can we look into that well if we can look into it with some clarity with some conventional right understanding we start to see that this wanting is a movement in the mind. Yeah. When wanting arises, when wanting arises, you can be sitting there watching the mind, and then wanting arises, and you're watching the wanting, and then wanting ceases, and you're still watching. The watching and the movement are not the same thing. We've got a choice when wanting arises in the mind. We're not obliged to follow it. We're not obliged to cling to it. When liking and disliking arise in the mind, we're not obliged to follow it. We're not obliged to become it. And what happens if we don't follow it? What happens if we don't get lost in that movement? There's no suffering. Well, there's not the same kind of suffering. Certainly not, the, certainly not the same problem. Yeah. Why not? It's nothing to do with the electrician at all. He still didn't turn up. It's nothing to do with him. It's to do with what we're doing yeah. in our own hearts and minds. And so this mindfulness, this restraint, this wise reflection, 
in regards to liking and disliking, in regards to wanting and not wanting, in regards to the world. This is the world. When we don't understand this, then we just compulsively, a gazillion number of times in every day, clinging to the activity of the heart, clinging to the activity of the mind, becoming. And we have these habits of clinging, and then we have this construction which we call me and my experience. And as I was saying, it becomes so normal, and we think everybody else is doing it. Well, thankfully, there's a few people who stopped doing it. The Buddha stopped doing it. And that's why we call the Buddha Loka Widu, when we do the chanting, Loka Widu. Knower of the world. Loka is world. So the Buddha is a knower of the world. The Buddha saw the world, saw beyond the world, stopped creating the world, and so he didn't have any suffering. So if we can consider this and establish our practice with this kind of an understanding, then there's a good chance that we will diminish, if not stop, fighting ourselves. It's, I don't know if you've had the experience that you set out with the aspirations on the spiritual journey and it just feels like a battle and you're fighting yourself all the time, trying to overcome all the things that are unwholesome in your mind and and all the liking and disliking and wanting and not wanting and yeah. if we stop trying to overcome these things, stop trying to get rid of these things, but rather focus on cultivating the knowing, cultivating the awareness itself, and see what happens to in terms of the struggle, our understanding of the struggle. How does the struggle begin? How does the struggle end? Talking like this, sometimes people have the impression that everything's going to disappear or that liberation or the world ending means that we don't care about anything anymore that we're going to just sit there and have a mind that is blank. Well, that's also what's so important about this particular rendering on that Ajahn Chah's teaching about yeah. we will still have the same feelings about existence in the world, it's just that we won't be burdened by them. Yeah. The teachings are not talking about having an empty mind and being somebody who doesn't care. Quite the opposite. What they're talking about is having such an accurate perspective on the activity of the heart and mind. Such an accurate, clear perspective that we don't make any mistakes anymore. We don't cling. When wisdom's operating, then we don't create suffering for ourselves and for others. We persistently create suffering for ourselves and others because we don't see clearly. Yeah. Liking arises and we think, oh yeah, this is, this is good, I'll have more of this, and we cling to it. But, but as I was saying in the beginning, if we cling to liking, then we're going to end up clinging to disliking. If we cling to wanting, we're going to cling to not wanting. Yeah. Well, if we don't cling, 
from the perspective of me and mine, it might feel like everything disappears. We might imagine everything disappears, but that's like when children don't really understand and, 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 and daddy goes to work in the morning or mommy goes to work in the morning and, and the children start crying because they think mommy and daddy are going away. They don't have the understanding yet that mommy and daddy are only going away for a wee while and then they'll come back again. Yeah. And so they suffer. Well, that's from a very limited perspective on reality. And, and so it is for us in our practice when we don't really understand. You know, we, we think that if we let go of liking and disliking, let go of pleasure, let go of pain, what more is there? What else is there to life? Hmm. Well, from the Buddhist perspective, from the perspective of the realized beings, that when there's wisdom operating, there's also compassion. The expression of wisdom is compassion. And this is selfless compassion. And that's also particularly important. We can have compassion without wisdom. We can have a sort of compassion... We can empathize with the suffering of living beings, but coming from a place of uh, very much me feeling compassionate for you or me feeling compassionate for them. Mm. And when there's that unwise compassion, then there's also a lot of suffering. Mm. So those of you familiar with the Buddha's teachings on the Four Brahma-viharas, and the Buddha didn't just teach compassion, he also taught equanimity. And equanimity uh, means that the compassion is selfless. And when there's wisdom, then we can feel the sadness of the world. When there's wisdom, then the sadness of the world can be felt fully, but without any attachment, without any suffering. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Mm-hmm.